Welcome. I'm Brittany Pacheco, and you're listening to The Watchers in the Basement. Last week on my solo pod, I discussed Season 4, Episode 8 of the Hulu original series, The Handmaid's Tale. If you are not yet caught up on the show, this pod will have major spoilers for you. But before I jump into it, take a minute to follow us on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And head over to our YouTube channel to subscribe and hit that notification bell. Comments and likes are always welcome. You can also find our pods over Game of Thrones, The Boys, Marvel Cinematic Universe, etc. on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more thanks to Anchor.fm. In last week's episode, June has her first day in court by testifying against the Waterfords. The other survivors of Gilead also deal with their trauma by confronting the past. In this week's episode, the Waterfords switch gears about their future. June has an encounter that could have a major impact on her relationship with Luke. And two handmaids in Gilead handle their oppression. Let's dive into the penultimate episode entitled Progress. We're going to start off in Gilead because there is a new handmaid in town and she is about to cause some problems. Y'all, did you ever imagine to see Esther Keys again in this show? Because I sure as hell wasn't. Now, just a quick reminder about who she is. She is the teenage ex-wife of Commander Keys. Now, she was also the one who housed the fugitive handmaids on their farm And she also helped June poison the commanders at Jezebel's before all of them were arrested. Now, she is at the Red Center in the traditional handmade garb. And as I said, going to cause some problems. But before I get into that, I do want to pose this question on you guys. How the hell did she not get executed for her crimes? Because... As a wife, I'd imagine that there are privileges, obviously. But she was knowingly housing fugitive handmaids, poisoning her husband along with other commanders. Now, the only thing I could think of is because of the fact that she is young. She's, what, 14? Maybe she is capable of having children. It probably just wasn't with Commander Keys and all the other men that, you know, would gang rape her god that's awful but if she is fertile then i'd imagine that's the reason why she is a handmaid it's just curious that she was able to escape the wall so i'd like to hear your thoughts about this so be sure to uh you know let me know what you think on our social media platforms but esther and to quote shakespeare although she be but little she is fierce and esther is Fierce, y'all, because she is on a hunger strike. Now, in the room with Janine and the two aunts, one of them being Aunt Lydia, she is refusing to eat and pushes off the tray as Aunt Lydia was basically trying to tell her, you know, be a good girl, do as you're told, etc. Over dinner, the aunts are discussing what they're going to do with Esther. Of course, ways of punishment is just horrible in my opinion one suggests you know let's force feed her we're gonna put a feeding tube in her another one's like well you know i don't see what's the point of her having a tongue so let's just go ahead and remove the tongue and janine is amongst these aunts you know serving them their meal and she's just kind of like 
oh my God, you know, can't believe what she's hearing. And Lydia will send Janine away, but continues the conversation with the aunts about what they're going to do with Esther. They know that they're going to punish her, but they're just not sure how. But then the conversation turns to Janine. Another aunt thinks that Janine should just be sent to the breeding colony, as was the intention before she escaped with June on that train to Chicago. Now, Lydia is still on this whole, no, I'm going to assign her to another commander. But it doesn't seem that Lydia is in a rush to do so. And that worries the other aunts because it seems that Lydia is giving special treatment to Janine, which I think she probably is for various reasons. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to go into what happens in the Testaments. Maybe not exactly, but I think there's some grooming that for sure is going on. Janine will later talk to Lydia as... Lydia is reviewing different commander files to potentially assign Janine to. But Janine has found her voice. But she is voicing her concern about Esther. The fact that Esther must be scared about the situation that she's in. But that she should be told what could happen to her if she doesn't follow the rules. And so Lydia agrees to let Janine talk to Esther about you know what she needs to do before there's any further punishment and when Janine does visit Esther she's bringing her a tray of food out of nowhere Esther's just like oh my god you know you're here you know how did you get past them and how did you sneak the food and blah 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 what's the plan and Janine's just like listen you know you need to forget about all that I'm here to tell you about how you need to obey before you get into any more trouble. And this actually kind of infuriates Esther because she's like, wow, you're basically one of the aunts. You know, you're you're following what they're saying. You're doing their bidding. But Janine will urge Esther to be obedient because the aunts are going to make her suffer more. And Janine wants Esther to survive to see that things will one day get better. Janine is going to do whatever it takes in order to survive. And I just think that's great. You know, there's definite character development for Janine. I was always concerned about, you know, was she either going to die or was she going to just continue following the handmaid's rules and ways of life. But the fact that she spent a lot of time with June on the run Janine, I feel, has come into her own. And I think she's trying to maybe be that new June in a way to Esther. Later on, we'll see Janine and Esther walking towards the aunts. And I will note that Esther is being obedient and addressing the aunts the way that they should with blessed be the fruit and the responsive may the Lord open. Esther is not trying to be defiant. So Lydia is quite happy to see that Janine got through to Esther. And we'll, you know, turn to the aunts to say, you know, we're just so lucky to have Janine. In a way, I feel that this kind of allows Janine to have more time 
at the Red Center before she is reassigned. The question is, how much time do these handmaids have before their safety is in question? So do you think that Aunt Lydia could be grooming Janine to becoming an aunt one day? Let us know on our social media platforms. I'll tell you more about that towards the end of the show. Moving on to the Waterfords. Last episode, we saw them in court as the testimony from June was being read out. But in this episode, they are opening baby presents from their supporters in Canada. And in true Canadian fashion, they're receiving a lot of baby hockey jerseys. I mean, it's adorable. It's just so cute. And Fred is actually quite pleased with the fact that they have so many supporters outside of Gilead to appreciate who they are and what they stand for. But Serena doesn't seem to share in that joy. She, on the contrary, is quite concerned, quite troubled. So Fred is going to do what he does, and that's to reassure her in a way and hands her a card to read. And she kind of, in her very Serena Joy fashion, is like, oh, I can read and it's not going to, you know, cost me a finger this time. Like, Fred will deflect. That's just what he does, obviously. And he's going to, you know, steer the conversation towards their future and how they should, you know, spread the Lord's word. He suggests that Serena should write another book because the world should hear her voice again. And this does seem to intrigue Serena because that's who she was before Gilead. I can't imagine wanting to give all that up. So Fred is obviously no stranger to manipulation and he's going to manipulate Serena in any way he can, either to get her on his side or to you know pull the rug from under her at some point. I wouldn't put past this guy because I mean, he's just a snake in the grass ready to bite. But the Waterfords will actually be visited by their friends from Gilead, which was such a weird twist in my opinion. Like, how the hell was this granted? So Commander Warren and his wife Naomi will visit the Waterfords. Naomi is bringing Serena baby gifts from Gilead, and she says that they're very happy for her, and they don't, you know, really blame her for, you know, trying to put Fred on the spot in order to get baby Nicole. While Serena is, in a way, happy to see someone she knows, probably the fact that she's also receiving baby gifts, she's quite concerned with the things that Naomi is telling her, that should the Waterfords not be cleared in time for the birth of their son, that she and her husband would be more than happy to care for him because he, quote, belongs in Gilead. That's really concerning. And while Serena is being visited by Naomi, Warren is telling Fred that everyone back in Gilead is so just moved by Fred's persistent loyalty to their country. Fred will ask Warren if there's been any negotiation on Gilead's part to free him. In other words, like a prisoner exchange. Warren says that if they were to negotiate for Fred, that they're putting other commanders at risk to be kidnapped by the resistance. I would think infuriate Fred because the fact that, I mean, he's been in Canada this entire time. It doesn't seem that Gilead supports him in the same way that he would support Gilead, but that Warren says they'll continue to quote, send thoughts and prayers. If the commander and his wife 
were to ensure the Waterfords that Gilead is still supporting them, Gilead is on their side. This was a huge epic fail on both their parts. And Fred will share his concerns with Serena about the feeling of being abandoned. I think that Fred is more hurt by being disrespected. Not so much abandoned, but I think the fact that he was at such a high power and command in Gilead that they're not supporting him. And Serena shares her concern about how Gilead might come for their son if Fred were to lose his case. Because in Gilead's eyes, the baby is state property. Serena also thinks that if she were to return to Gilead under any circumstances, that she would either be made a handmaid, because obviously she's been able to conceive, or she's going to be sent to the colonies. What options do the Waterfords have, really? And Fred says he's going to protect Serena and their son, but how? I'll get to that in a little bit. All right, let's get to the good stuff. So June finally has told Luke about Hannah and the last time she saw her and how Hannah was just so fearful and didn't seem to recognize June at all. And according to what Nick last told June was that Hannah is safely back at home. Luke has been through a lot, obviously, and he's trying to be supportive, but he doesn't quite like the idea that June called Gilead home for Hannah. Luke will show June just how committed he is to rescuing Hannah and shows all the work that he's been doing towards just that. June is very moved by this and she decides to try to use Commander Lawrence to try to get more information about Hannah. And when they call him with Mark Tuello present, Commander Lawrence suggests that June just let Hannah go. She's happy and in a good home. And Gilead is now all that she's known. He does add quite harshly that June's love isn't necessarily good for anyone. She's, quote, a fountain of heartache and trouble. To make his point, he mentions Janine. While June is quite relieved to find out that Janine did survive the bombing in Chicago, she is so heartbroken, so devastated to find out that she has been recaptured and sent back to Boston. June has to really focus about this because obviously she's very emotional. She wants to save anyone and everyone that she can, but she has to go back to the issue at hand and saying that in exchange for Hannah, the Americans will push Canada to improve their trade with Gilead. And Lawrence kind of just laughs this off and basically says that the American government has no real pull with the Canadians. Instead, he requests that 10 of the freed children be returned. He knows that a lot of them are struggling. It just boggles my mind to find out how much information is being shared amongst these two countries, if you will. Who do you know who to trust at the end of the day? June is going to obviously reject this idea, and he calls her soft and bargains for at least five children to be returned. While June does lock eyes with Luke, he doesn't outright plead with her to take the deal. So she cheerfully is going to say no to Lawrence's request. Lawrence says he can't help. And he tells June to enjoy her freedom and move on. But I will know that when he hangs up, he clearly feels guilty. So I will pose this question once again. 
Is Commander Lawrence a good guy? Does he actually want to destroy Gilead or does he want to remake the country as to what it was intended to be? You know, obviously by asking for the children to come back, that makes you sway one direction, but him feeling guilty at the end of the conversation makes me wonder, truly, what are his intentions? Later on, Luke and June are sitting in a room together and Luke's is weighing his options. And he suggests to June about finding another resource in Gilead to help their cause. And that's by contacting Nick. Now June will admit that Nick would do anything for her and their daughter Nicole. And it's very curious to have Luke suggest that June and Nick meet in person and bring Nicole as an, as an added incentive, given the fact that, obviously, Luke knows June's history with Nick. So could this be a test that Luke is going to pose on June for her affection? And Luke says that it's their best chance of getting Hannah. And that's what matters most. So June agrees, and the meeting is set. Before I really delve into this meeting, I just want to know, how the hell do these people know to contact? The last we knew that Nick was going to Chicago and to lead the bombing, and how do they just know to get in contact with him? Like, it's just, it's just crazy to me. But anyway, that's just a sidebar. June seems to be very excited by the idea that she's going to see Nick for the first time since she's been freed. And the fact that she is going alone with her daughter, Nicole. Lucas decided to stay behind because obviously he's not going to be able to deal with it. But Secret Service is following June, of course, to a remote location, presumably in neutral territory with Canada. Who knows? But it looks to be like an abandoned church, maybe an abandoned home. I'm not quite sure exactly. I, I'm going to lean towards church. But we do see Nick emerge and tells June, freedom it looks good on her. It's a very sweet reunion, in my opinion. They genuinely seem to be very happy to see one another. And Nick sees his daughter for the very first time since he agreed to give her up and remarks that she's just a whole other person now. Again, it's just a sweet reunion, in my opinion. So when they go inside, June will basically say to Nick that she is hoping to get some kind of information on Hannah's location and all that stuff. But before she can even spit all that out, Nick says to her, you know, I, I figured that once you were out, you'd be, you know, inquiring about Hannah. So here and hands her like this fairly thick folder of an in-depth Hannah's exact location, photos, etc. And June is just so overwhelmed and just so happy to see updated photos of Hannah. She, of course, is smiling. She's very happy. And we learn that Hannah is now in Colorado Springs. So June is just so awestruck by the effort that Nick put towards this. And they share a very passionate kiss. Now, I, for one, have been shipping June and Nick for a while. It's crazy to say, but I do really feel that June loves Nick. I know she loves her husband, Luke, but she's been away from him for seven years. And she's 
a different person than who she was when they first met, when they got married, when they had Hannah. I don't know. I just, I, I like the chemistry between June and Nick. June seems to be very more in touch with her feelings around Nick than she is with Luke. Luke, it seems that she's just very standoffish and use her sexuality in order to get what she wants out of him in a way. But with Nick, it seems like it's just a perfect fit. You know, she feels her most comfortable self around him. Nick and June will share a beautiful moment with their daughter. Nick presents to his daughter a handmade doll from Gilead. It's just a very sweet moment. You know, Nick obviously has not been able to be a father towards Nicole, let alone just be with June. So I just thought it was a very heartwarming, very beautiful moment between these individuals. And before they part, Nick and June will wish each other happiness. Once June has left the meeting site, Nick puts on a wedding ring. I'm not entirely surprised by this, and I'm not surprised that he didn't tell June, obviously. My concern for this is who has he married? Again, I've read the Testaments. We have seen, obviously, a teenage bride. I hope for the love of God that he has not married Hannah. It's a very, oh my God, I, like I, I've said that and I want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. I just hope that that's not the direction that they're going to take this in. If anything, I'm hoping that something happened to Commander McKenzie, who is Hannah's quote unquote father in Gilead. And maybe Nick has married Mrs. McKenzie. So maybe that's his connection to Hannah because he did say to June that there are friendlies, quote unquote, who have been able to take the pictures of Hannah. But I'm just very curious, was that a lie? I'd like to hear what you all have to think about Nick's status as a married man once again. Do you think maybe he's married Hannah's Gilead mother? Or is he betrothed or even married to Hannah? Oh, oh God, I said that again. It made me sick. Gross. We next see Luke looking over the file on Hannah as Moira is there with her hand on his shoulder, just in awe of the information that they've now been debriefed on from June. And Mark Twello is also present, having noted that not only is there an asset in Gilead to help their cause, there's also a new asset in Canada too. And that is Fred Waterford. The look on everyone's face when they find out that Fred is willing to cooperate and to negotiate and give as much intel as possible about the inner workings of Gilead, the commanders and future plans, and for what? So that Fred and Serena Waterford can be freed. And this just, you know, wasn't shocking to me entirely, but it's obviously shocking to Luke, Moira, and June. But Mark says, sometimes you have to let one fish go to catch a lot of other bigger fish. And it takes a moment for June to process all that's been said before she turns heel, runs after Mark out of the house, and starts basically berating him for allowing this to happen with Fred. She says, he's a rapist, he's a rapist, and you 
you're going to let him go and, and what have you. And Luke has to hold her back from physically attacking Mark because she is uttering death threats to Mark saying that she's going to kill him. And I do think that her rage and, and her want to hurt Mark is entirely warranted because the fact that she has gone through so much to escape Gilead. She's looked to the Americans and the Canadians assistance in order to seek asylum and to try and get Hannah back. But the fact that Mark has sprung this on them feels like a betrayal, I'm sure. And we all know that Fred does not deserve freedom whatsoever. At the end of the day, shouldn't the whole goal be about destroying Gilead and also freeing everyone who has been in the midst of it? Those who are innocent, let me clarify that, not those who are actual war criminals. So Fred's intel could potentially help with the downfall of Gilead. But is this truly a fair deal? Now, will June also intervene? Is she going to take matters into her own hands about dealing with the Waterbirds? So hopefully we're going to find all that out in the final episode of this season. That wraps up today's solo pod of The Handmaid's Tale. Don't forget to follow The Watchers in the Basement on our social media platforms and YouTube channel. Help grow our audience by sharing this podcast to others and use hashtag WatchersBasement when tweeting at us. We actually experienced a huge increase of views on our YouTube channel. So thank you so much to everyone who has helped with that. We couldn't be more excited about this. So keep on doing what you're doing, watching our videos and sharing. It means the world to us. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll be back next week to recap the season finale of The Handmaid's Tale entitled The Wilderness. See you then.